from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of GreenEntrepreneur.com. And you know, as the cannabis market grows, so have the number of data technology companies offering brands, business intelligence, or BI. And our guest today is Jeffrey Graham, the co-founder and CEO of Pistol Data, which is one of those data technology companies, one of the best in the business. The company has built applications for salespeople at brands to help them identify the best selling opportunities. He's going to talk to us about what that means. Pistol recently closed a 6.5 million seed round led by Snoop Dogg's Casa Verde. Congratulations on that, Jeff. Thank you. And welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be on your show. Yes. And um, before we get going here, I want to find out a little bit about your bio, a little bit about your background, because I know that you worked in more traditional media before joining the cannabis side of things. Talk to us about where you were beforehand. Sure. It's funny that you're calling it traditional media, but it is becoming traditional. I started in the internet space in the mid-90s and specialized in developing research and data solutions for companies around marketing and sales. So that led me to, I was uh, head of research at the New York Times, helping them develop their digital strategy. Uh, I worked at Google as director of research and Twitter as well, building their analytics capability across the globe. So I guess that's traditional now, Google and Twitter. Right. Back in those days, I'm sure the New York Times was like, what's this digital? So I guess we got to get into the space, but they've actually, there was, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that. It's funny. It's like I spent so much time in, in the internet space explaining to folks that the internet really was a big deal and it was going to be transformative. And so being in the cannabis space, it's kind of back in that same position where it's very clear to me that the cannabis industry is going to be an overwhelmingly important culturally, socially, and economically important industry. And there are a lot of folks that don't quite see that yet. Uh, and there's a lot of toe dipping. And so it kind of feels feels similar to those early days. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I hear that sometimes. It's sort of almost the, the dot-com boom reminds people of the cannabis boom and the good and the bad, right? Also the sort of all the, you know, all the excitement and exuberance. And then, you know, it's, it's the, the, the industry is getting harder and harder to break into. And let's talk about why you made this transition to cannabis, because here you were, you know, with some really big names that you've worked for. I mean, Google, Twitter, New York Times, some of the biggest com- media companies, I don't know if they call themselves media companies, some would, but it's the biggest companies in the world. So talk to us about why you would then go over to cannabis, this sort of untested at this point industry that has got all these restrictions on it and is, is a difficult industry to thrive in. Well, I've always felt that all things being equal, the higher risk move from a career perspective is the better one. I think we tend to overdo the risk in our minds of, of choices we can make and underprice the opportunity that, that comes with that risk. So it did seem moving into cannabis that it was kind of a risky thing about, I'd say, three and a half, four years ago when I made the move into the industry. It was like, 
will I ever be able to get a job back into these traditional companies? And will this will this industry really be, will it grow to meet the opportunity that, that that's there? But also there's an aspect of cannabis, which goes beyond just the economy of it, the industry of it, which is the fact that it, cannabis is a is a social good. Cannabis gives people a lot of comfort. It gives people a lot of joy. And being part of the normalization and the providing access to cannabis, being part of that industry, I think is is really important. And I think that the world will be a better place when everybody has legal and safe access to cannabis. Amen. You are in, a, in an industry now in terms of data technology that, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there's definitely more uh, companies in that space uh, every year. And how do you differentiate what Pistol does from some of your competitors? Or are there competitors specifically in what you're doing? Are you doing something so unique that there actually isn't a competitor yet? Yeah, I, I think what we're doing is unique. There have been a lot of data companies that have popped up over the years. I think that what I found when I worked at a cannabis company, at a brand here in Northern California, that the part of the company that was most underserved was the sales team. The sales team, they're the people that really make it happen in the business, right? They're the people that actually try to get a product into a store, try to tell that story to the retailer, and ultimately help the retailer decide what products are going to be offered to consumers, which is going to hopefully create loyalty and satisfaction for the entire industry. The sales teams, sales teams are very focused on just one thing. They're like, where can I get the next sale? Whether it's getting into a new store or building their shelf space in an existing store. So Pistol from the beginning has been really focused on sales teams and sales reps. We've created a tool that's very easy for them to use. So it doesn't feel like you're looking at data or doing data analysis. You don't really need to even know like Excel. <laughs> you just basically, we give you a very simple mobile application that says, hey, here's the stores you're not in. Here's the hole that the, they're in their menus. It could help you sell your product in. Here's where you're out of stock. Here's where your competitor is being active. Go out and make a sale with this information. All right. So walk me through it. Let's like kind of take a case example. A salesperson from a, a brand has your app opened on their phone or the computer, or wherever. And what is some of the, like you mentioned, some of the, the data that they're given? What's some of the data that they're interested in finding out and what can you offer them as an answer? So we're talking on Monday. So let's say it's Monday morning and it's 11 a.m. right now. And uh, let's put our feet in the shoes of a sales rep. Let's say that they're in, I don't know, Lansing, Michigan or Springfield, Massachusetts or San Diego, California. What they need to decide is this week, who am I going to call or visit? And then what am I going to say? What is my sales story going to be? What we provide them is a very simple and easy to use set of opportunities that say, in your local area, here are the stores that don't stock your product this week or actually yesterday. Here's what they do stock. And here's some information that help you determine what sample, if you talk to them, what sample you want to lead with, what brand in your portfolio are they most likely to stock. And that's based on their sales, the data that you're picking up from there, what they're selling, for example, like if they're selling a lot of flour, like what are some of the data points uh, in terms of what they would pitch? We have information from... More than 90% of retail stores across the US. So we can actually show this our clients every product for sale 
and the price points in that store changing every day. So you can look, if you're in San Diego, you can look across all the stores in San Diego on a map, explore each one of those stores, see what they stock, see what they don't stock. You can also see the stores that may be out of stock for one of your products. So you may have seven products on the shelf, but over the weekend, two of them were just sold out. That's a really great call to make because you can call that retail buyer and say, hey, I notice you're out of stock. Let me come in with a with a new order form for you to sign and I can get more product to you. So it's very basic tactical information for the salesperson. What store should I visit? What do I say? How do I get more orders this week? And just, we try to make their lives a little bit easier. How do you get the data? We use publicly available information. So if you're, let's say that you decided that you, let's say you hired 10,000 people and you had them all every day, make sure that they kept track of all the retail stores that were open in the United States. And then you went to those stores or those stores, e-commerce menus, and you recorded all of the inf- all of the products that they have, all of the pricing. You took that data every day and you compared it day over day about what's in the store, what the price is, what stores, what new brands and products are appearing, which ones are disappearing off the shelf. We basically do that, but we've automated that process. So the short answer is we take publicly available information that's available to consumers and we've automated a process and turned it into something valuable for the sales rep. Interesting. How did you come up with the idea to do this, to find this need? Because it seems like this is different than the kind of information you were mining some of your previous employers, for example, Twitter, Google, New York Times. What did you learn? I guess the question I have is, what did you learn? Well, there's two questions. One is, how did you come up with this idea? Is it because you were at a cannabis company before and you realized this was a real need in the marketplace? Well, more than that, it was my need. So I was head of business intelligence at a at this cannabis company, vertically integrated cannabis company in California. That was NorCal, right? Yeah, NorCal Cannabis. I was being asked for information from marketers, from salespeople, from executives at the company. I was used to getting high quality information in my previous jobs because I was in technology and media and finance where there's a lot of data and there's a lot of tools. But that data wasn't available in cannabis. So I was kind of stymied. I I couldn't answer those questions because the data wasn't available. So I basically said, well, how can I get this information? So many good inventions are built out of your own needs, right? What do I need? What do I need? Oh, and I can't find it. So I'm going to build it. (laughs) Well, at least you know it's real for one person, right? And then you can develop an intimate understanding of what that need is. So that's that's where the idea came from. But if you think about what we do, we do what a lot of internet technology companies do, which is basically organize information for publicly available information and serve it up in a way that's really useful to a person. That's what Google does, right? Google basically takes all the information from the internet. And when you're searching for something specific, they'll get it to you really easily right? That's simply, that's their mission statement. And there are a lot of companies, internet companies that basically do that. They go out and find information and serve it up to you. That would be really hard for you to find by yourself or would take a really huge amount of time. So it's very similar. It's it's an internet technology business from that perspective. This is a controversial issue, taking the customer data. And you've worked at some companies that have been definitely, well, certainly Twitter has been, uh, and Google, have been under the spotlight for thankfully you didn't work at Facebook. That's the one that really that really gets that really gets a bad rap in terms of selling this customer information. 
Is there any reservations that you have in the past or now about going through data, people's buying habits? Is is there any kind of um, ethical issues that you have to think about? We don't actually access, organize, or sell anything to do with people or customers. It's all about products. So if you're a product listing on a menu and you have rights, we're violating those rights. If there's any <laughs> products listening to this, they might be really offended by yeah, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we basically, imagine you went to every restaurant in the United States, you took a picture of their menu on their front window, and then you organized that information for people that were selling to restaurants. Yeah. I mean, how about in the past when you worked at a company like Twitter, did you ever have thoughts like maybe this isn't the the best. It's all how people use information. They can either use it as a tool or a weapon, or, you know, it can be used against people. Did you ever think about that when you were at those big technology companies? Definitely. Yeah. Social media specifically is such a powerful technology and social organizing force that when social media first started to emerge not too long ago, people could see the power in getting people to want to use it. (laughs) And you could see that happen very, very quickly. And then there was a period of time where there were a lot, seemed to be a lot of good things happening as a result of social media. And there were a lot of metaphors that people could provide like democratizing communication or the great public square. And there were a lot of stories that seemed to like the Arab spring where people could communicate with one another, where previously they couldn't. And it seemed like that this the sheer ability for people to communicate with one another was going to be naturally this wonderful thing for the planet. And it turned out to be not really an, <laughs> an unadulterated unadult, good for people yeah. that there are a lot of negatives to that. And when you work for these companies, a lot of people pay attention to that and, and try to understand what the implications are of what they're working on and what they're building. But that realization comes over time. Yeah. Well, you don't know. You don't know. Exactly. You don't You don't know what is going to happen um, when you build the technology and then you have to react and respond as, as best as you can. Do you think that it's the algorithms that have really been... I mean, there's so many reasons why social media has been used for evil and why it has not always gone as sort of this u- utopian vision that people had of social media connecting the world. But the advent of algorithms, right, to elevate people who, you know, give people likes, you know, and, and, and make people make sort of put a emphasis on going viral. That seems to have been something that has people realize that I can go viral if I write something super negative and Twitter and these companies will reward me for that. Um, do you think that was a mistake or do you think that was a, that's a problem inherent with the technology? Well, whether or not it was a mistake, you know, you have to look at from what perspective, from a market capitalization perspective, that wasn't a mistake, right? For, for companies like Facebook, if you, I think what you're referring to from an algorithm perspective is basically say, we're going to have the machine optimized to have people interact with, we're going to try to create as much interaction as possible and the most attention as possible. So anything that creates somebody to like or to share or to comment or even spend time with that, we're going to basically make everything run according to that organizing principle because then people are going to spend more time on our platform and that's going to make us more money because it's an advertising thing. I think what people didn't realize at the time was there are certain characteristics 
of the relationship between humans and messages, which means if you optimize for that interaction, there's certain types of messages that are going to be more likely to advance in the conversation. Rise to the top. And those tend to be the controversial negative. Yeah. Tend to be aggressive, things that are negative, rumors, lies. And then those conditions allowed people basically to reverse engineer that and say, oh, I have a lie or I have a rumor or I have piece of propaganda that I want to propagate. So I'm going to use this algorithm in this use, this system by understanding this logic, and I'm going to get a lot of people to believe it. And then you add on top of it, the ability to actually take money. And if you have money to actually create even more gasoline behind that ability to propagate whatever, whatever you want. And that's where we ended up in the situation where we are today. Do you think the social media companies and, and the search companies have come down a bit too hard on cannabis? You know, I mean, any cannabis business owner will tell you that it is such a struggle to not get shadow banned or banned at all because of the federal legalization, federal illegality of cannabis, and because a lot of advertisers are scared to get there to be near any kind of cannabis content. You know, some of these companies have really come down pretty hard on cannabis accounts. Do you think that's fair? Well, I mean, there's very little fair when it comes to cannabis at a, at a, at a deep level, right? It's not fair that there's 40,000 people still in jail. It's not fair that they're putting still putting people away, the federal and state level. It's not fair that there are people that are in pain and taking opioids, but they could be using weed and they'll probably be a lot better. There are people that are having trouble falling asleep and don't know that they could use weed and it could help. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that are unfair. And I think we have to give a shout out to the platforms that are have a much more liberal approach to cannabis, like LinkedIn, which has sort of allowed that community to thrive. I mean, I understand if you're Instagram, you know, if you're meta, like you have hundreds of billions of dollars at stake and Cannabis is really small potatoes. So why would you even mess with it? It's federally illegal. Like if I was a lawyer working for Facebook and you said, should I allow people to sell drugs on the platform? It's a schedule one. Like, what would your answer be? Like your answer is going to be no. Like, so really until it's federally legal, we might, we're going to continue to see this kind of, well, there's just nothing in it for the social media companies. Exactly. It's not worth, it's not worth the risk. Do you think even with Elon Musk potentially taking over Twitter here, it it might, that still might exist because it's still about the advertising dollars, right? Well, Musk seems to want to take it away from, take the model away from advertising. What Elon Musk really wants to do with Twitter is mysterious to everybody. I think he wants to buy a hype machine. He's profited very well from hype, whether it's from his own cars or whether it's- He's a good example of a of what works on a social, you know, yeah. in a way. He's a human example of it. Yeah. When you get into things like crypto, when you can just kind of like, just with one tweet, increase the value of your holdings exponentially. So I don't know. He talks about liberalism and kind of libertarian approach to communication on on Twitter. We'll we'll see. Last question, because it, it made me think of this. You have had quite a success on LinkedIn, I've noticed. And was that a surprise to you? And what do you what do you credit what do you attribute that um, success? Thank you for saying I'm a success on LinkedIn. You, you um, have. You, I, you get a you lot of interaction on your on your posts. I do. I do. So it is surprising how much attention you can you can get on LinkedIn with quality content. And I what you just said is getting a lot of interaction. To me, that that's the main secret is to operate to say something very clearly, very simply in a way that doesn't take people a lot of time, but invites them into the conversation. And I think if you can do that and it's worthwhile for people, people will want to 
want to have their say. And that feels good in the cannabis industry to bring up a topic and then to see people say, hey, this is what I think. That makes me feel good because that's a conversation that people can have. And Do you remember a um, an example of a post that you did that had a lot of engagement? Yeah, I think that talking about one, one that had a lot of a post that had a lot of engagement was talking about the fact that while the perception that cannabis is all about recreation and fun and getting high and going to parties, that the real truth is that the vast majority of people are using it for physical or emotional comfort. And not only did I get conversation among people in the industry, but what was sort of surprising and kind of heartbreaking was people reaching out to me on DM, asking me for recommendations, saying that they have trouble with sleep, saying that their parent has trouble with pain and seeing that there is still such a need for education and for people to get information. And when they do, I think there's going to be a lot of people whose lives are changed for the better. Well, that is a great note to end on. Jeffrey Graham, thank you so much. If people want to find out more about Pistol data, where should they go? Why not go to LinkedIn? I'm Jeffrey Graham. I'm on <laughs> Yeah, that's LinkedIn. a good place to start. It's Pistol Data, P-I-S-T-I-L, like the part of the flower, and we're at pistoldata.com. Well, congratulations on all your success and here's to continued success with the company. Thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, head on over to greenentrepreneur.com for the latest cannabis and CBD news, thoughtful essays, tips, and insider tricks on how to succeed in the cannabis business, all that good stuff. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a huge solid and go to wherever you may listen to your podcast and please rate and review our podcast. It does wonders for the algorithm, helps others find the podcast. Would so appreciate a review and a rating. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.